Reignite on RTE Radio 1 with AIB. It takes a certain kind of brave to run a business. We see it. We back it. Welcome back to Reignite. I'm Anya Kerr. Now, Judd Brewer is a psychiatrist, neuroscientist and a best-selling author who's spent over 20 years working with everyone from Olympic athletes to corporate leaders. An associate professor at Brown University and executive medical director of ShareCare, Dr. Judd researches how our brains form negative behaviour patterns, bad habits and addictions and he has techniques for creating lasting change. His new book, Unwinding Anxiety, Train Your Brain to Heal Your Mind, couldn't be more timely as we emerge from one of the most anxious periods of our lifetimes. Dr. Judd, good morning and welcome to Reignite. Maybe you'd start by giving us a simple definition. What is anxiety? You know, there's this simple definition of anxiety, which is this feeling of nervousness or worry or unease about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Well, this last year, it's been unprecedented in, in terms of the number of times we've had uncertain outcomes. And that's that continues to this day. And here in Ireland, as you probably know, over the last 18 months, we've really been in a series of continuous lockdowns and restrictions. It's only now that we're starting to talk about returns to the workplaces, to lecture halls, to, you know, airport queues. And I wonder over the last 18 months, where do you think people are at? You know, what's been the impact, particularly then when it maybe comes to bad habits that we've already taken on? We've seen an increase in a lot of probably unhealthy habits. So, for example, a lot of research has shown that a number of people have increased the amount of alcohol that they drink. A number of people have gained weight because they're stress or emotional eating. A lot of people are binge watching, you know, television shows and spending more time on social media. And all of those are probably related in their in our brains attempt to compensate for these unpleasant feelings of uncertainty. Brains don't like uncertainty, we get anxious and our brain says do something, you know, make this go away. So we distract ourselves by eating or drinking or scrolling on social media and then those get set up as unhealthy compensatory mechanisms. And what's been your own personal experience of anxiety and how does that manifest itself? Well, I've, <laughs> I've had anxiety ranging from uh, where my body is so uh, anxious that it's in my GI tract is letting me know. I won't go into the details, but you can get, you can get the idea. I've had full-blown panic attacks. I used to get panic attacks in residency training. So, uh, you know, I've certainly had personal experience with the full gamut of, you know, anxiety to panic. And you come from a different place on this to maybe a lot of the conventional thinking in that anxiety can be a little bit like an addiction and that it hides in our bad habits. Explain to me what you mean there by addiction and and that hiding piece. Yes, the simple definition of addiction is continued use despite adverse consequences. And in medical school, I basically learned to give people medications for anxiety. But when I started practicing as a psychiatrist, and learn that you know about one in five people uh, show a significant reduction in symptoms when they're when I prescribe them a medication. Started I started looking for other things to see you know what what was I going to do to help the other eighty percent of people. And it turns out back in the eighties, uh, folks have suggested that anxiety can be driven like any other habit. And you can think of addiction being the far end of the spectrum of habit. So any habit forms with three elements, a trigger, a behavior, and a result. This is all based in our 
you know, in our uh, survival physiology, we need to remember where food is and we need to avoid danger. And so if our brain sees food, there's the trigger, we eat the food, there's the behavior, our stomach sends this dopamine signal to our brain that says, remember what you ate and where you found it. Anxiety can be driven in the same way. So anxiety, that feeling of nervousness or worry, uh, can be a trigger for the mental behavior of worrying. And that worrying makes us feel like we're in control, or at least it makes it feel like we're doing something. And that doing something feels better than doing nothing, which feels rewarding enough to feed back so that the next time we feel anxiety, we flip into that habit of worrying. And anxiety can trigger any unhealthy habits, such as stress eating or you know checking our email or worrying. And when people think of addiction, they'll often think like smoking, alcohol. Are you really saying, you know, anxiety is similar? Like that's how we now have to think about it. Therefore, we have to use these new loops to try and break an addiction. We may actually be addicted to worrying, to fretting. Yes. Well, if you look at the definition, you know, continued use despite adverse consequences, worrying doesn't solve problems. It doesn't keep family members safe. And in fact, it can make us more likely to panic or, or you know, have other untoward consequences. So in that sense, in the strict definition, <laughs> you know, worrying, if we continue to worry, worry despite adverse consequences, it fits that definition of addiction. Regardless of whether somebody feels like worry falls into the category of addiction or not, it certainly is driven in the same way as other unhealthy habits. And in that way, we can treat it and we can treat anxiety that way. And in fact, you know, my lab has done research showing that we can even use the app-based mindfulness training programs to help people unwind that habit loop. We got in one study, we got a 57% reduction in anxiety and anxious physicians. In another study with people with generalized anxiety disorder, we got a 67% reduction in these clinically validated anxiety scores. And here we could show that the mechanism is the same. It helps people reduce worry and that reduction in worry reduces anxiety. I know when I'm worried and anxious, I will, you know, think almost the act of worrying. Well, at least I'm worrying about it. I'm actively doing something or otherwise I will come with sheets and plans and I'll do scenario planning and I'll kind of try and convince myself I can think my way out of this. But you would argue, no, you got to lean in and feel it. Yes. So our brains, you know, they're set up to try to plan for the future. Future planning is helpful. But what our brains often think is, oh, if I just try to plan my way through this, I can reduce the uncertainty. But there's a lot of the world that we don't have control over. And so there, our brain just spins out of control in, in thinking about all these worst case scenarios. And so there, like you're pointing out, it's really about going back to the mechanism you know, really feeling it in mapping out these habit loops. And through that process, we can actually work with anxiety. So talk to me yeah, about that. How for people listening, you've got three mind hacks that you can talk people through. Yeah. So I think of it as a three-step process. The first step is just mapping out a habit loop. So whether it's anxiety or stress eating or anything, it's just a matter of mapping out what's the trigger What's the behavior? So in this case, with anxiety, anxiety could be the trigger. The behavior could be worrying. And then what's the result? You know, what do I get from worrying? Once we map it out, we can start to, we can see the process. We can see when it's starting to show up in our daily lives. And when it shows up, we can then take the next step, which is really looking at how rewarding it is. And the important 
neuroscience piece here is that our brain isn't going to change behavior if it doesn't see how unrewarding it is. So we have to really lean into it and see what we're getting, what the result of worrying is. You know, is it keeping my family member safe? No. Is it solving a problem? No. Is it just making me feel more anxious? Yes. If we can start to see that result, that helps our brain update the reward value so that we start to become disenchanted with the process of worrying. Once we start to become disenchanted, we can shift into this third step, which I think of as bringing in the BBO, the bigger, better offer. And this also goes back to the neuroscience of our brain. If our brain starts to see that worrying isn't quite as rewarding as it thought, then it's going to say, okay, give me something that's more rewarding. And here, I think of two categories of things that are more rewarding. Uh, one is curiosity and one is kindness. So for example, if we're feeling anxious, uh, we can start to get curious. What does that anxiety feel like in my body? And we can break it down into its component elements. When it's this big, bad, scary concept of anxiety, that can be too much. But if we break it down and say, well, what does anxiety actually feel like? Well, there's tightness. Okay, there's tightness. There's tension. There's heat. And we can start to break it down into the component elements and see, oh, these elements themselves aren't that bad. I can be with them. And as I bring awareness and curiosity to them, they come and go on their own as compared to feeling like they're going to last forever. So that curiosity is that bigger, better offer. And it's something that we all have an intrinsic capacity for. And it's something that we all can practice and bring to moments when we are worried or anxious. And in those moments when we're worried and anxious and we're trying to kind of accept, yeah, there are things I can change and then I have to accept some of the things that I can't. What are some of the things in the moment that I can do to help ground myself, even maybe something as simple as my breathing techniques? One of my favorite grounding exercises is called five finger breathing, where we just take one hand and we take the, uh, say, the index finger of our other hand and place it at the base of our pinky. And as we breathe in, we trace up the outside of our pinky with our index finger of our other hand, pause at the top of the finger. And then as we breathe out, okay, breathing. Yeah, Yeah. gotcha. Yeah. And then as we breathe in, you know, we can trace up our ring finger. And then as we breathe out, we can trace down. And so as we take five breaths, we can trace our entire hand. As we take 10 breaths, we can trace back from our thumb to our pinky. And what that does, our brain can only hold about four things in working memory at once. And what we can do is we can fill that working memory with present moment experience. So the touch sensation of the pinky on one hand, the touch sensation of the index finger of the other hand, the visual field of watching our fingers trace each other, and then also paying attention to the felt sensation of the breath. That's four things. As we do that, it kind of crowds out the worry thoughts. When we finish taking those 10 breaths, that our physiology tends to be a bit more grounded. And at that moment, if those worry thoughts come back in, they're at a mismatch now. They might be kind of high amplitude, high anxiety, but our body feels more calm. And if we have a calm body, we can start to notice those thoughts and just see, oh, there's a worry thought and not get caught up in it as much as if our body is feeling anxious at the same time. Everything that you've been talking about is trying to bring us to what you call anxiety sobriety. Tell me what you mean by that. 
Well, here, you know, it, as I think you'd mentioned earlier, you, we can think of anxiety as fear of the future, fear of the unknown, fear of something that's uncertain. And in my clinic, where I work with a lot of people with addictions, you know, when they think about, oh, can I be sober in a month, you know, whether it's drinking or drugs or whatever, that feels like it's really hard for them to do. But if they dial it back and they say, well, can I be sober in a week? I don't know. Can I be sober in a day? I don't know. Can I be sober right now? Well, they're sitting in my office sober. <laughs> So we'd say, okay, let's start here. Take it one moment at a time. And in the same way, if somebody's struggling with anxiety and they're like, wow, this just feels like it's, it's going to last forever. They're already thinking way down the road. Forever's a long way away. Can they dial that back too and say, okay, how about this moment? Can I just calm myself? Can I do five finger breathing? Can I do something to calm myself right now? And then take it one moment at a time. That's what anxiety sobriety is all about. Taking it one moment at a time. It's great advice in a moment where we're continuing to deal with ambiguity and the unknown and having to make our peace with there are just things that are outside of our control. Thank you so much, Dr. Judd Brewer, for joining us this morning. It was my pleasure. And Judd's book, Unwinding Anxiety, is available now from wherever you get your books. And of course, we here at Reignite recommend that you start with your local bookshop. And we should say the habit mapping exercise that he mentioned there is up on the RT website, rt.ie forward slash reignite.